0: hey this is kyle turner the lead pastor of hillsong kansas city welcome to our podcast we hope that it inspires you encourages you and most importantly helps you get closer to jesus enjoy the message
1: hi my name is mandy i've been going to hillsong church for about five years now today we get to see a conversation between pastor kyle and my dad captain ron johnson My dad has always been one of my personal heroes, and in 2014, he was very instrumental in protecting the peace of the protesters in Ferguson, Missouri. I think like so many of us right now, Pastor Kyle and my dad are very passionate about seeing an end to the racial inequalities and injustices in our country. So I'm so expectant and excited for this conversation. I hope you are too.
0: So Captain Ronald Johnson, thank you so much for being with us and thank you that through your daughter I got your book that you signed for me several months ago. I just finished it this week and it's 13 days in Ferguson. It's about how you showed up just to serve as a member of our highway patrol. But then just from one day to the next, you went from serving to leading, leading the response, leading, leading the engagement with the community, really leading the healing and you find yourself as a man in the middle and it's really what you are. You're a man who is both uh, signed up to serve and protect and you're a a man, an African-American man. Not only that, but you find yourself right back in the middle of a place where you went to high school with several of these people. You grew up right in that area. So what does it look like to be a man who's feeling that tension of leading, serving, trying to bring healing right in the middle? Well, first, let me say thank you for having me,
1: Pastor Kyle. It is uh, truly an honor. And I appreciate what you do for my daughter spiritually. and, and, and so. But when getting to Ferguson, you know, for me, it was different. You know, you talk about being in the middle. And I always tell people that the toughest part of the road is the middle part. Mm-hmm. You know, we always say that when you're driving down the roadway and you swerve over a little bit and you hit those rumble strips, it wakes you up. And I think that's what it did for me. So I'm walking down the middle. Uh, and, and, and it woke me up to some things that I thought I was okay with. Uh, but it, there became this struggle, because you're right, you're this African-American man, and most of the people that are out there asking for change look like you. Mm-hmm. And you understand what they're asking for. You understand the history of what's gotten us to this point. But then also, you're in that blue uniform. Yeah. And you understand what that stands for and you wear that uniform with a sense of pride, and you know uh, the majority of those men and women on the other side wear it with that same sense of pride. But you've gotta go down the middle and you've gotta be able to tell both sides of the story. Yeah. But both sides are pulling at you. They want you to take sides. And when you don't, some begin to call you a traitor. Some begin to call you a coward because you're not speaking the truth that they want you to speak in the same way. Mm and so it becomes a challenge and so now you feel that you're this guy out on this road all by yourself that there's no one to turn to and then you pause for a minute and you know that you're in this position because of not luck because it's God that's put you here Mm -hmm. and there is someone you can turn to and that's your God and your faith yeah and so you know for me that began to be where I uh, would turn and that began to be what kept me on the middle of that
0: road and that path well thank you so much for on behalf of our our state and our our nation for being a man willing to take the pole and the tension in the middle and something I've been just wrestling with as um, obviously as as a white minister Uh, trying to lead and build a diverse church in a diverse city, I feel pulled in the middle as well. Nothing like the weight and responsibility you were carrying. But just so much in my heart is not ever to offend, but I also, um, I don't want to miss what God is wanting to do and what God is wanting to say. And I think as as men of God in the middle, we're called to uh, be more than just um, peacekeepers, we're called to be peacemakers. And sometimes when you try to stand for peace or stand for justice, um, you do get these labels attached to you. You know, one of the things I think is so powerful in your book, 13 Days in Ferguson, is just the way you set it up. You set it up day by day. So we kind of get to walk in your shoes, everything you're feeling. And some days go worse than others. Some days you feel like you're taking ground. Some days you feel like you're back at the beginning or even behind. But you did one thing that was so powerful and I think pivotal to bringing... Uh, Peace and ultimately um, taking the conversation forward is that one day you decided I'm going to go, one of the first things I'm going to do as I'm in leadership, I'm going to go walk with the people, um, not even as a representation of law enforcement, but just as a neighbor. And you took off your bulletproof vest and you walked them. Can you share a little bit about uh, what led you to that? What did you feel and experience in that decision to be a person that decided to march with those that in reality were marching against um, the people of your profession as well. Well you know for me if I've always said that the thing that defines
1: us is our walk in life. Yeah. And so you know it was when I found out that I was going to be in charge I had no warning or, or no, I uh, hadn't been told that I would be in charge. It was just like okay you're in charge. Uh, and it, it came as quite a surprise. So there hadn't been any pre-conversation. And so now, uh, not knowing I was going to be put in charge, I had no plan. And so, if I say, well, what is your plan? Well, I knew one thing. I knew that in those first five days of the protest, we had not talked and communicated with the people that were there, that were involved, the peaceful protesters. We had not talked to them. And we really had not seen their faces. We were just in, in 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 conflict. We were on one side of the street and they were on one side of the street. But had their arms folded. And I believe to create change that we have to communicate. And you have to begin to see those faces that we sometimes walk by and hear those voices that are being impacted. That's where change begins. It's not us telling them what they need. And so for me, it was walking down that street, but that also gave me some strength. Because now I was walking down that street, and the energy I would have was from the energy of those protesters that were out there, because I understood. Mm -hmm. They were protesting things that had impacted my life. They were protesting things that I knew should change. And so when I walked down that street, it gave me that, but it also was sending a message to that uniform that I wore, that I was going to be fair,
0: and everyone was going to be a part of this change. You mentioned, and obviously we've already talked about hate, the stress and the tension of being both African-American and a member of law enforcement leader. And I feel like we're finding ourselves as a nation where we're having to choose a side. And yet what we see, as you did make what you felt like, I think by the leadership of God, you include so much of that in the book, your prayer life. You made what you felt was the best decision in that moment, in that day, and yet you still got ridicule from each side, almost like a pendulum swinging back and forth. And I feel like that's why a lot of people are intimidated to even say something or stand for something or even enter into conversation like we are today. Um, it's because they feel like, I'm just not going to be able to win. What would you say to the person that's intimidated to just even begin a dialogue or a conversation about where our nation is, where it has been, and hopefully potentially speak about where our nation could go. So we all have this courage
1: sometimes that we don't believe that, we, that exists in us. Yeah. And I think we're seeing that uh, in our protest now. We're seeing courage. And I think that, you know, I told people for me, it's about that daily walk. When I get up in the morning, the first thing is I look at my feet and say, what are you going to do today? What is your walk going to be today? And so I think it's just making that walk, and you're going to face some things along the way. And so for me, it was making that walk, and I said, am I courageous enough to make that walk? But then I also said that I know that God doesn't give me more than I can bear. Mm. And so I'm walking that, and sometimes in my mind, I'm talking to God and, and saying, I know you don't give me more than I can bear but this is getting pretty heavy. But you continue to walk, and as you continue to walk, and some days when I would get to the end of that road, it didn't seem so bad. Whatever I walked through, and you know, the screaming, the yelling, it didn't seem so bad. But I think sometimes our fear is at the beginning of our walk, and if we never continue to walk, we never see the mercy that's
0: always there when we get to the end as powerful. You know, one of the, I think, major travesties of Michael Brown, uh, his killing, was that they left his body in the street, left his body there for four and a half hours because they were intimidated, and intimidated about violence or repercussion. And I think it goes on the same line, is that I think some people are just so intimidated um, to, to embrace something that's painful or something that's ugly or something that's potentially volatile, but it's because they're thinking about themselves. What I see in your book, and I just think about the character of your life, is that because you were a man that grew up in this community, went to high school with people that were were from Ferguson, and also was a man uh, who s- uh, swore to, to protect and serve, um, you didn't really have a choice but to embrace it. I think there's a lot of people on the, on the perimeters of the situation just looking in, just thinking about themselves, not looking at the people. Can you just talk to me a little bit about how do we get our eyes off of ourselves and onto people that might not look like us or talk like us or come from our neighborhood? How do we get our eyes off of ourselves and start to see people for who they really are and start to embrace even just conversation with them so that we can grow? Well, you know, in my book, I, when I sign my book, I always put I am you.
1: Yeah, right here. And I put that because we're, we're we're more alike than we're different. Yeah. And, you know, when I saw Michael Brown Jr.'s body laying on the ground, and, and I saw it for hours and hours, I began to see my son. Wow. Uh, and I began to say, no matter what was happening in that moment, no matter the gunfire, no matter the violence that was going on, If that was my son, I would do everything I could to remove him from that point and remove him from that roadway. And so I would say that when we look at each other and those officers that were in charge that saw that young man should have saw their sons or their daughters or their loved ones and they would have definitely made sure that they were removed from that roadway. And so I say that, you know, we have to begin to look at each other in that way and not begin to walk past each other and bring value to the voice of others. And sometimes it's just about listening. I think doing Ferguson, one thing that I did, I was just listening Mm -hmm. and not reacting. And so I would listen and I'd get home at night and then I would begin to digest that. And I would begin to, even if I didn't understand right away, I'd say, what if that was me and I was in that situation? And so I think we need to begin to do that. I think what happens is sometimes we believe that uh, there's always there's somebody else already working on it. Yeah. When we're just okay with our size because someone else is working on it. Or what I have to say doesn't have value, but maybe it's what you have to say that has the most value. Wow. And that's what we saw on the streets of Ferguson, especially with our young people. I was just so impressed with what I heard from our young people, and I would tell them as angry as you are now, I believe that the change that will come to this nation will be because of you. Wow. Because you guys embrace diversity more so than the age group that I am. Mm-hmm. And so I think that we just have to embrace, we have to listen to those voices of change. Uh, I think sometimes we attack each other in ways that uh, aren't appropriate. Uh, and then also realize that we all have these implicit biases. Yeah. And that's okay.
0: Is what we do with them. Wow. Yeah, the um, a story you tell early on about going up and speaking to a young man, and he had a red bandana on, you know, to hide his identity, and you knew, you know, he was asking you, "I want answers. I want answers." And as you begin to embrace conversation with him, and you put your hand on his shoulder, I believe, but then he lowered his mask, and then you just saw him as a as a twenty year old, as a as a kid, as somebody's son. I think in the church, because um, churches, you know, as Dr. King said, is you know that church hour is the most segregated hour in our nation. How do we, if you have some thoughts on how do we get that mass down and begin to see each other, not as, um, not through labels or through those predisposition thoughts, but just as fellow even believers? How do we bring the church together? Because I personally feel like the church is not the only solution, but Jesus is the main solution. And if the church doesn't engage, then we might make some new laws and come together for temporary peace, but there'll never be that healing and that really happens in people's hearts. So how do we get the mask down? I tell you, when the
1: riots first started in Ferguson, a lot of ministers came out and the protesters and rioters that were out there uh, were indifferent with the church. Mm. And they began to ask these pastors, well, where were you before? Where were you when I when we, we came into your church at a funeral service and you know, everyone looked at us? Where were you when we were standing on the corner and you drove by us? But now, you want to lead us. And so they were really attacking the the, the ministers and pastors and priests, And uh, but one thing I will say, those ministers and pastors and priests kept coming out, but they initially came out with collars their, with, their, mm-hmm. with their pastor collars and their their black robes and shirts. But it was when they didn't come out in those collars, mm-hmm. and they came out in shirts and t-shirts and began to connect. But they kept coming out. And I have to it kept coming out. And that began to turn the tide. Wow. And there was a, a church here in St. Louis and, and some from around the country that came and held revivals. And I went to one of those sites days into it. And some of those rioters that had been out there screaming, mm-hmm. giving the pastors a tough time, yeah. were over there giving their life to Christ. Wow. And so I you know, I tell people that we believe that uh, some of what we called our bad apples in our in our, our communities mm-hmm. don't understand faith or have no place for it. But I would say go sit at a mall and just sit on a bench. Yeah, and as they walk by, those ones that you would put in that category, mm-hmm. and I want you to look at the tattoos that they have on their bodies. You'll see crosses. Mm. You'll see pictures of Jesus. So they know, but they need someone to reach out to them and pull them in. Yeah, and show them there is a place and there is acceptance for who, no matter who they are. You know, I grew up uh, when I was in church, younger, and you'd always have to dress up to go to church. Mm-hmm. You know, but now I go to a church where I can wear jeans and, and wear a shirt and uh, a t-shirt or, or a collar shirt or uh, whatever I want to wear. Yeah. And that has to be that acceptance. And so if you want to wear a suit, then wear a suit. Yeah. But come as you are. And I don't know if we've always practiced that. I think we're getting better. We're seeing more churches that say come as you are.
0: Yeah. yeah it's really one of the main monikers of our church is we just say welcome home because we know that everybody needs a home. And we don't always know where people come from or what their background is or what their family life is, but that's what the church is supposed to be. It's supposed to be, it's the family of God and it's a very diverse family. It looks like every single shade and background and every single um, place you could come from, we're all called to go ultimately eternity with God, But, but you need a home, a spiritual home here on the earth. And I feel like people like their homes a certain way You know, you're probably the same as me. I've got a routine when I get home. I put things in order the way I like them. But when we start inviting people that we don't know and aren't like us into that home, things get disruptive. And I think think one thing God is teaching me through uh, these conversations is like, I need to be okay with my church being disruptive. I don't want to just look over the problems and the pain that people that aren't like me are feeling. I want to take time and pause and let their pain become my pain. We've been talking a lot about the life and leadership of Captain Ronald Johnson. Take me back just a little bit to just, I don't know if they call you Ronnie or Ron, but when you were growing up here, um, because in your in your story, in your book, you, you talk about a time when your family was in extreme, not extreme, but in poverty, barely making it. Then things began to click a little bit for mom and dad, and then you moved out to a little bit of a better place, but you were the only African-American on the block, and the prejudice you felt in that place. Take us back, because there's a lot of people that are watching this, they're seeing you as the leader you are now, not maybe realizing the struggle and the attack that you grew up with. Talk a little bit about what it was like growing up so different than the people that lived right around you and those that you went to school with. Well, you know, we, we moved
1: to a, a neighborhood that was really, when I say predominantly white, it was all white. We were the only African-American family on our street. And and so we moved. And so before that, I had never experienced what I would call racism and uh, never been called racist names. Mm-hmm. Now, some of the words I had heard before, but but they were, 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 were heard in a jokingly way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, it was ironic now that I th- think back when I wrote the book when I was a child, but when those words came out when we moved to, when we went to this all-white school and the kids were saying these names, I knew they meant something different. Yeah. The tone meant something different. And they began to hurt, and so then you go home and, and now me and my sister, we all three get home. And we're, we're different age groups and different classes. But we get home and we're all having these same experiences. On the same day first day of school and we're telling our parents and they're struggling on how to tell us about this difference mm-hmm. because it had never been a conversation they ever had and probably never thought they would have to have wow. and so now they're struggling and you and they have these kids that are that are crying and, and, and hurt and they're crying telling you yeah you know my dad is mad yeah but my mom is crying And they both have different ways of of how we should deal with this. And and so it was tough. Um, But you had to go back and you had to keep going back. And and that's why when I talk about that walk, you know, my mom says, You're going to go back. And we'd say, Well, can you take us to school? We don't want to walk to school. And she'd make us walk. And I thought that was mean, but I think she was saying that, hey, you just keep walking. Yeah. It'll be OK. Wow. You'll be stronger enough, and you'll be stronger for it. And from a child, she'd always talk about, God's not going to give you more than you can bear. And and, uh, and so we would walk. And then the time would change over, over the years, and we would become friends. Because we they start seeing us. We're just like you. We're, we're just like you. And so those were difficult times. There were difficult times for us, there were difficult times for our parents. Uh, and then I would hear my mom on the phone talking to her friends, and they would say, Well, why did you move there? You should have stayed where you were. But I think that was a moment to create change, mm-hmm. whether she knew it or not. Wow. And I think, you know, things happen for a reason, and I think our experiences make us who we are. And I say that as much as that was a hurtful time, If I never go through that experience, then maybe I'm never put in charge of Ferguson. Wow. And maybe we're not having this conversation. Wow.
0: Mom knew what she was doing. Um... You kept walking, and, uh, you know, because you did, and made that connection with your classmates and your neighbors over time, you know, you went first. Someone's always got to go first. But because you went, then others can follow. I think you um, talk about in the book that we're not going to make these huge leaping strides and solutions overnight, but it's like you're talking about walking, it step by step, but it's also, you talk about inch by inch, and I feel like obviously the whole world is watching us as a nation. The whole world is watching Minneapolis and, and the protests and the riots and the response of those in authority. But I feel like we're, we, you would think since Ferguson, and since 1992 in South Central Los Angeles, I think since the Watts riots, and I'm from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and this last weekend uh, is the 99 year anniversary of the Greenwood Massacre. You would, we, we don't seem to be making progress, or when we do, we feel like we slide right back. Is that your perception as well? And if it is or isn't, what do you think we can do to do something that's lasting from, so it's not just a moment of hurt that leads to more harm or more pain or more separation, but we can actually take some of those inches, inch by inch forward and step by step forward. What can we do? Well, I always talk about leadership.
1: And a lot of times when I go and do training with corporations, I always say, you know what? We give leadership training to people with titles. But we all have leadership within us, mm. and I said you ought to be giving leadership training to all your employees. Even that employee that you see is that that employee that is that mops your floors. Yeah, they have leadership responsibility because when I come in your business, for me to come back, it's because your business the more the floors are clean. Yeah, the the bathrooms are clean and so forth. And that person is being a leader. Yeah. And what happens when, when his fellow worker comes in, is having a bad day, and they're talking, he says, hey, it's not so bad, because I've gone through that. Mm-hmm. Or he says, well, let's, let me grab your hand, and let, let me pray for you. And now that other guy says, you know what, okay? Now he's he's having a better day. So we have to talk about leadership, and I think if everybody knows that they've got a leadership role in this country, a responsibility, they will be begin to do things and take charge when they need to for change and interact and come up with solutions. And when we can all do that, I think we'll see that. But what happens is there's people who could be impacting change right now, but they don't believe anybody will listen. Yeah. They don't believe that they have value and they have a voice. And so I think we have to give voices to as many people as we can. And purpose and I think then we began to create that change you know I talked to someone uh, who was an older lady and she said you know when my kids were young I was so involved in the school system I was so involved in the community but my kids are gone hmm. and she says and I just stopped getting involved well that historical voice that she has mm-hmm. that historical knowledge that she has that conversation with the neighbors used to be, and the things that they used to do, are so important. And so we just have to begin to listen. When we have meetings, we have to bring everybody to the table. But usually, when we say we're going to have a community meeting, the people that come are, are kind of already in tune. Mm-hmm. It's the person that says, I don't want to come. Don't come on my porch. Wow. And so, but if you keep going back to their gate, Mm -hmm. you keep going back to the gate. Sooner or later they're gonna say, okay, wait a minute. There's something wrong with this pastor here. He keeps coming back and I'm telling him no. Yeah. But then they're gonna see your commitment that you're not coming just to get an extra member in your church. And it's not even important if he he or she comes to your church. Mm -hmm. You're coming to make a difference and hear what they say and take that back to those that come
0: to your church. Yeah, so good. We need more voices, definitely. I think I I could speak on behalf of um, some of my colleagues, especially white colleagues and ministers. We've been intimidated uh, because a) we don't feel like we can fully, we don't have the perspective, we didn't have the resistance, Um, and so we're we're intimidated to speak. Even because we're kind of we would consider ourselves we're spiritual leaders, not necessarily social leaders, and definitely not political leaders. And so sometimes we just love to stay in our lane, but anytime people are hurting, that's where Jesus goes. And that's what Jesus is drawn to. And I I admit it to our church. I think I've gotten it wrong. I've been too quiet when I should have raised my my voice a little bit more. I've been too intimidated. You said something powerful. Actually, your daughter says something. Amanda says something so powerful to you. In your story here, in the book you talk about, she just reminded you that even when Peter messed up, said the wrong thing, betrayed the trust of Jesus, Jesus comes back and picks him back up, embraces him again. Um, what would you say to someone who, they've said it the wrong way, they've said the wrong words, they've had the wrong viewpoint, and they're maybe becoming aware of it for the first time, but now because they've gotten it wrong and yesterday they're intimidated to say something today, what would you say to them? I would say that um, if you say something wrong,
1: then say I was wrong. Yeah. But I think you keep going back and you say, you know what, I was wrong, but I want to get it right. And I can tell you doing Ferguson, I didn't say everything right. And sometimes the toughest thing is to say that I'm wrong. Yeah. But I think when we can say that we're wrong and we go back and we listen, and sometimes it's not about having answers. It's about, hey, tell me, you tell me. And yeah, we've been talking and you've been talking a lot about teaching you know, I'm still, and you're still learning and being taught. I think that is uh, what a leader must be. Mm-hmm. I think when people see that a leader says, "Hey, I may be the leader, but every day I'm learning," and so I think that's what it takes. Um, I think you know, when we look at what happened in uh, Minnesota, mm-hmm. I think those those officers that stood by, there was some fear. Is it, is, it, is it better if I'm just quiet? Well, no, it's never better just to be quiet. No. And so I think that if, if, you're, if you're trying, don't give up. You know, I always talk about failure and defeat. F- defeat is an ending
0: point. Mm-hmm. Failure is an opportunity to get back up. Come on. Take a moment to speak to the African-American, whether in our church or just in our nation, it just feels like nothing's ever going to change. Do you, just as a, as a man of, 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 of color, do you have hope that we are gonna move forward from where we're at? I have faith that
1: we're going to move forward. I think, I don't talk about hope, I talk about faith. Yeah, that's great. And so I know that we are going to move forward and, and we've moved forward in our country. We've made some steps. You know, conversations like we're having today, we're moving forward. Mm-hmm. Conversations that people are having with friends and co-workers they've never had before are moving forward. And when we look at voter turnout more, in some cities we have more uh, people of color that are voting. Uh, we have more uh, diversity in our political uh, uh, governments throughout this country. And so we are making some steps. Uh, if we look at the protests across this country they're more diverse than they've ever been Mm. they're more diverse than the protests in the 60s when martin luther king marched and so we are making gains Uh, but we have to stay the course Mm -hmm. we have to stay the conversation uh, no matter how tough uh, no matter how many tears that have to be shed but i also think we have to begin to make sure we're having real conversations Uh, And I look at myself, you know, when Ferguson started, and I had been a trooper for about 27 years, some of my co-workers came up and said, you never told us about your feelings. You never discussed your feelings. And some even said, I never knew you were so religious. Wow. And so that meant that I really hadn't shared my faith. Mm. And so we have to look at ourselves and share who we are I know, you know, it's going to come with criticism, but criticism makes us better. Mm-hmm. My mother would always say that if someone is criticizing you, then you're probably doing something right.
0: Final thoughts here. we You're saying we've come a long way, and I think you're also saying we've got a long ways to go. The Bible talks about if you don't grow weary and well doing, um, you will reap a harvest. If you don't give up, I think some of the tension I'm hearing from both sides is if if I don't fight violently I won't be heard and others are saying because you fight violently I'm not gonna hear you what is the balance between those that have been oppressed and feel like sometimes the only way to get their voice out is through violence and those that only thing they see is the violence they don't see the pain you know for me um,
1: when my kids were small Of course, when they screamed and and yelled, uh, you know, you come to see what is wrong. But the thing that impacted me most were the tears that dripped from their eyes. Um, And so, because that's the hurt. And so for me, that I think that we have to look at the hurt that's there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Where we've been focused on the scream, the scream with the looters, the scream with the rioters. But when I've looked at pictures from across this country and I've seen the tears and the emotions, that's what drives me. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's beginning to drive our country right now. And and I've seen a reaction that I have not seen in our country for a while. And it's not based on race or gender. Uh, And so I think that we just have to make sure that we, we put it in its place and we understand it. But I also think that uh, we have to be so strong in our faith. Uh, You know, for me, I talk about in the book that when I first was put in charge, a guy had given me a buckeye. Yeah. And he says, take this buckeye, it'll bring you luck. And and so when I was put in charge of Ferguson, I went home and I found the buckeye. And I put it in my pocket because I thought I was going to need luck. But then as things got tough, and when I went through some of the toughest days that I had, I began to walk out of my house one day, and. Uh, my kids, one of my kids had put a rosary on a board in our home, and I never even asked who put it there, I just saw it there and knew that they put it there for uh, religious purposes. But I walked back in the house and I put that buckeye on a table in our, in our home, and like we have that rosary. I didn't know all the meaning of the beads and the meaning behind the rosary, because I'm, I'm Baptist. hmm But I knew it was about faith. hmm And I put it in my pocket and I knew that it wasn't luck that I needed. Wow. It was faith that I needed. And from that day forward, I never worried about losing my command. I never worried about what was going to happen. Everybody said, what is your plan? I said, I don't know what my plan is tomorrow. Because in my mind, I knew that I had to go home and get on my knees and pray Yeah. for that answer. And so each day was a new day. And I treat it as a new day. And I would treat it based on what I was confronted with, based on who I would encounter. I think that's how we have to go about our day. Mm-hmm. We're going to encounter different people and, and know that we can't treat everybody the same. We have to treat them based on who they are. Mm, that's great. And know that this fight in our country is not black against white. It's about humanity.
0: And a shared love for each other. And so, Well, wow, thank you for, um, for being a man of faith. And thank you for being a leader. And thank you for investing in us and you say in your book people don't need lectures they need conversations they need to hear stories because stories have a face and if we're just looking at news articles or twitter or instagram maybe all we're hearing are viewpoints but we're not seeing faces thank you for being willing to share your faith your leadership your perspective and show your face and support um, for our nation for unity uh, you really are a hero on the front lines and we're so grateful for your voice thank you so much for for being with us today
1: Thanks for having me, Pastor Kyle. And like I said at the beginning, this is uh, truly an honor.
0: And I promise you this, I'm going to make sure uh, that your daughter is well protected and that no jokers come around. We'll (laughs) keep all the jokers away. Well, thank you.
1: You know, as fathers, that's important. Very important. Yes. Yes. Hey, thank you so much. Thank you.
0: What a powerful and amazing interview. The whole time I was there, I was riveted and hanging on every word. And I had prepared about, 12 questions and i don't think i used a single one that i prepared i just really went with what god was speaking to me through the book and i highly encourage you to pick up this book for yourself 13 days in ferguson several of you have already told me that you've gotten it or have listened to the audiobook and uh, i know when i went through it something went through me i began to walk in his shoes because it's a day-by-day story of what he went through as a leader i love what he said that hey give voice and shout and and share your heart but what we really need are leaders and you are a leader. You might not have thought that about yourself, but you have a platform. And it might just start with the people in your own family. It might start with the people in your own neighborhood or your workplace. But you can take people on a journey that will bring healing and restoration and maybe drop some of the old pain and baggage of their yesterday and walk into what God has for the future. I highly encourage you to pick up this book. Charles, I'm going to give you mine right here. You're going to have to sanitize that because of COVID, but I'm I'm, I'm good. No fever today. Uh, Hey, listen, Liz and I are on a journey uh we're taking our staff we're taking our team we're taking you on a journey to lean in and to listen and to learn like never before i do believe that like men like and women like captain ron when we when we embrace the middle the tension and maybe leave the middle and go over to the other side places we never dared to go before that actually as we learn how other people see it, what they're feeling what they're walking through we actually can lead like never before We believe as a church we're going to places we've never been before and bringing healing and restoration, starting right here in Kansas City, maybe even starting right here in our own church, in our own hearts. Listen, I truly believe with all my heart you can fully stand for justice and peace at the same time. We do not have to split down the middle. And yes, we can call things as they are, things that frustrate us, Things that we see where people are saying it wrong and doing it wrong. But let's not be people that are just calling out what you think is wrong without listening to what might be right. So where do we go from here? We have to be willing to be people to embrace the messiness, the strain of living to build that bridge between people's pain and the plan of God. God always meets people in their pain. Isn't that what Jesus did so often in the Gospels? He went to their place of greatest pain and yet he brought healing and restoration. He didn't bring critique or ridicule. He didn't ask them to change before he embraced them. He embraced them in their mess, and then they received the message, then they received the healing, then they received the help that they needed. Don't let the divisiveness and the noise silence the sound of heaven that is coming through our church, that is coming through our life. Jesus tells us that where there is unity, there is blessing, where there's unity, there is power. God is looking for a united church. Many of you, maybe you've pulled out of the conversation. I believe that this such powerful uh, dialogue and interview with Captain Ron Johnson will get you to bridge back in. Get back in, keep listening, keep leaning back in. You know, one time Jesus was challenged about what's the most important thing for believers in God to do? What's the greatest commandment? Shows up several times in the gospel, different gospels, different ways of saying it, but Matthew 22, jesus makes it really plain i love the simplicity of our savior hey it's a it's a confusing world that we're in right now keep looking to the teaching the life the declarations the preaching of jesus that's where we start that's going to change you instead of looking for ammo to fire at someone else from a blog or a news article or your own past experience look to the teaching and the leadership of jesus he'll lead you to a place of peace, reconciliation, unity, where the blessing and the power of God lives. And Jesus says, hey, let me sum it all up. It's about loving God. And he doesn't make a differentiation here. And loving people. You can't do one without the other. It's about loving God. And I think the, the man who was asking this question, the scribe, this religious voice, was looking to trap Jesus. And when he says you have to battle all about loving God, he's like, okay, I can do that. That's what I've been doing. I put my love on display of God for everyone to see. And Jesus says, and what about loving people? Loving your neighbor as yourself is what he says. And then the man fires back. He's got a follow-up question. There's been a lot of firing back lately. And, and the follow-up question is, who's my neighbor then? He's trying to trap Jesus. Trying to Maybe he's trying to just do the bare minimum. I believe this, if you have to ask who your neighbor is, you're already a bad neighbor you have to ask what a good neighbor looks like, you're already a bad neighbor. You should be looking and said, what's the minimum I have to do to, Jesus, what, what, what's the most I can do? Where can I be quiet where I used to speak up? Where do I need to speak up where I used to be quiet? How do I get out of my comfort zone and live in that place of calling? Because when we start looking at people and treating people like we would wanna be treated, that's when we're operating and leaning in that beautiful gift of unity in sacrifice and in service that the church needs to be more than ever before Jesus then tells a follow-up story to answer his question of what a good neighbor looks like and we know the story you've been in church even if you've never been in church before you've heard about the good Samaritan we still use it as a term when someone who doesn't have to help someone does You know, the Samaritans and the Jews were bitter rivals towards each other. Bias, discrimination, hatred towards each other. They had some things in common, but they always isolated how they were different. They allowed how they were different. In fact, they both worshiped God, and yet the Jews thought they didn't do it the right way. They were were mixed in with some wrong things. So almost every other rabbi, I'm sure, in that time and age would never talk to a Samaritan would spit at the ground of a Samaritan, but that's not our teacher, Jesus. In fact, it says in John chapter four, when Jesus has that journey that leads him to the woman at the well, it says he had to go to Samaria. Jews never went to Samaria. Where's the place that you need to go that you've always avoided? That may be in your family, maybe in your past, maybe in your own words, used to always tear down, and yet that's a place where you need to tread, you need to walk, you need to go. Where's a conversation that you've always ignored? Where do you need to go? And he says he had to go to Samaria, because Jesus was always intentionally into breaking barriers and building bridges. Hillsong, Kansas City, we will always be about breaking barriers and building bridges. Jesus says, there's a priest that goes and finds this man. In Luke 10, it says, this man who was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's a 17-mile road walk. It's a dangerous, treacherous road. Everyone who was listening to the story would have known that. And this man fell among some robbers. Those are bad people. Did some bad things to him. He was stripped him. They beat him. They departed, leaving him half dead. And Jesus says, there's a priest that walks by. And surely all the listeners are thinking, yeah, here we go. The man of God, the church, if you will, they're going to help. But the priest doesn't want to be that kind of church. He's got church things to go do. No longer can we not be the kind of church that meets people in their pain, is willing to embrace their mess, their mistakes, their hurts, their wounds, and bring healing. But the priest didn't want anything to do with it. Then a Levite walks by. He doesn't stop to help. Levites are the ones that, held everyone else accountable to their obedience of God, to their cleanliness. They were authorities when it came to how you're supposed to serve God. But he wasn't willing to get his hands dirty. That would have delayed his, his, what he thought was his mission. Because if he touched a dead body, he had seven days to cleanse himself again. In other words, he didn't want to waste his week helping someone in their time of need. You will never waste your life pouring your life out for other people. You know, the Martin Luther King Jr. tells this story from the gospel, this gospel story, in his very last speech he ever gave in Memphis the day before his life was taken. And he says, the question that the Levite and the priest asked, because it was a treacherous place, was what might happen to me if I delay my journey to help them? But the good Samaritan who comes along, he reverses the question, if I don't stop to help this man, what will happen to him? And here we are as a nation facing a global pandemic, facing racial pain and hurt like never before in my generation, in my lifetime. And we need to ask ourselves uh, the question, we've gotta stop. We've gotta lean in. We've gotta listen. We've gotta help. We've gotta serve. Nothing is more important than the mission of Jesus, which we know is all about the gospel. But so many people are closed off to the gospel because they think that the church doesn't care. And this is our time to lean in and to listen, lean in and to serve, lean in and to give, lean in and to surrender, lean in and even take the criticism for a moment so that we can bring healing and restoration on the other side. I believe that Jesus is telling all of us, this is where I've been so challenged this week. Jesus is saying your neighbor is the person you used to walk out of your way to avoid. Every one of us has a person like that. Therefore, every one of us have some work to still do When the Samaritan came, Jesus says, he saw him. He was there where he was and he saw him. Don't pull out of looking to people's pain. Like Ron said, Captain Ron said was such, brought me to tears when he said I had to fight it back. And again, when I heard it on the interview today, it it drew such a, a tender place in my heart. He says, don't just listen to the screams, look at the tears. And when he saw where he was and he saw him, he had compassion. He went and bound his wounds poured on oil and wine. In other words, I think the oil represents the Holy Spirit. and help represents healing. Wine, I believe, represents community and connection. That's communion. Let's not just try to heal someone from a distance. Let's embrace them in relationship. Then he set him on his own animal. In other words, he gave him his place. Brought him into an inn and took care of him and paid the innkeeper, hey, look after him. If there's not enough, I'll come back and make it right. And then Jesus said, hey, which one do you think did the best? We all know the answer. And the man who was trying to catch Jesus, trap Jesus, do the minimum, he says, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus didn't rebuke the man. He actually set him free. He says, "Okay, now that you see it right, you go and do likewise. You might have been doing it wrong. You might have gotten it wrong. I've gotten it wrong in seasons of my life, but I thank God for his mercy and his grace that meets me in my mistakes and then says to me, now you can go on from here and do likewise. It's go and do, not go and argue. It's go and do. Bring peace. To bring peace, you have to embrace the pain. And when we embrace the pain, we can bring change. And we're not eliminating Jesus from the conversation. It's always about Jesus. But until we hear people in their hurt, and this isn't just a racial thing. This is a humanity thing. People are hurting all around us, and here we are as the people that are said to represent Jesus. We can't run away from the problems that have plagued our society and our city anymore. We've gotta embrace people where they're at. Just this, um, actually yesterday, which is, which is Sunday, our Saturday is Sunday in Australia, I heard this analogy from a, a First Nations, uh, pastor in in Australia Uh, he was being interviewed by our global senior pastors pastors Brian and Bobby and he said the church needs to realize we're like a piano it's black and white keys alone they can make some sound but when they come together when they work together they become a melody I believe it's time to make a new sound. I believe it's time to sing a new song. I believe you're called to be that Samaritan, loving people that don't look like you, that might have even not liked you, serving those who need help. There's people in pain all around us. I love that the Samaritan brings him to the end, because I think you're that good Samaritan. You're that helper, but then you bring them to the place of healing as well. You start the mending, but ultimately people are healed in, I believe the in is church bringing them in bring them into the house of God bring them into the family of God bring them into relationship with you bring them into community bring them in you will never fulfill your place of calling from your current place of comfort you may be stretched in seasons past stretch again I don't believe we'll ever see revival and breakthrough in our city without sacrificing and serving our neighbors so what I love about the house of hope is that without any Just without any holding back, we're just saying, we'll give to you where you're at, knowing very well. In fact, this week I was helping serve on Friday groceries. I got to pray with people. And they were excited to get a little bit of blessing, some food, some milk, some dairy products, some produce that they were needing. I saw a lot of the same faces coming back at the same time. I saw a lot of church family that need things right now, too. And then as we were blessing them, I just took a moment to pause and pray. Say, can I pray for you? And at first, some of them were alarmed. They were not expecting that. They just wanted some food. But then in that moment, I think we built their faith. And I was able to just declare the plan and purpose of heaven over life. This is why we look to serve first, then we will see people surrender their life to Jesus. Yeah, I wanna take a moment to pray for those that are in pain. Obviously, so much is going on. Conversation today was about race, but we're also facing a virus. We're facing economic pressure. I don't know what your pain point is, Maybe it's been racial tension in your life. Maybe it's just feel like you've been left behind by society. Maybe you just had animosity and hatred at you or even towards someone else. Whatever your place of pain, I wanna believe Jesus is gonna heal it today. I believe Jesus is gonna do a lasting work in you today. If you've ever gotten it wrong, good news for you as believers, we serve a God who serves us right where we're at. He left his place of comfort to answer the call to build a bridge between where you're at and where he is. He came to us first and he wants to come to you right now. Maybe you're watching in your living room or on your phone, but right where you're at, if you need healing in your heart, if there's been hurt, if there's been an attack against you, if you've maybe been an attacker and you need forgiveness, right where you're at, why don't you just put up your hand. I wanna pray for you. Father God, I thank you right now that you are so good and faithful. Every lifted hand is one of your children asking out, asking for help from their perfect heavenly father. Just like my children, when they lift up their hand for me, I always embrace them. How much more so are you embracing them in your perfection? We thank you, God. You are a God of grace, a God of restoration, and a God of healing. I thank you. People are letting go of pain, of hatred, of betrayal, of brokenness, things that were said about them, things that they said to somebody else where they've crossed the line. People are letting go of fear, their failures, their past mistakes. Lord, I thank you that here you are sending Jesus to speak to their heart. Holy Spirit, come alive on the inside of them like never before. Complete that which you began. Bring healing and restoration, peace, and Lord, I thank you they will walk in God promises. Their yesterday is behind them, and behold, you're making all things new in Jesus name real quick I want to take us through a believers prayer if you've never given your life to Jesus you've never received the gift of heaven Jesus came to meet us where we're at would you just say this after me if you need a fresh start with Jesus say this after me all together say thank you God for your love for me I give you my heart I need your help give me your grace change me to become more like Jesus I'm leaving my past behind, and I'm walking into my glorious future. God, you're for me. Who can be against me? My life is now yours. In Jesus' name. Come on, church, let's celebrate everyone who prayed that prayer.